Well, good morning, everyone. So, been a hectic week for everybody, I'm sure. Uh, been an adventurous week. Uh, things were uh, went very quickly for us here at St. Andrews. And I had, uh, I was looking or thinking about one sermon. Uh, it's supposed to be, sorry, it's supposed to be, <clears throat> it was supposed to be uh, the woman at the well. That's what we were supposed to preach on, but didn't really seem appropriate for this time, and as I was praying and thinking through maybe the last time we can preach for a little while where I've got everyone live, uh, maybe not, we hope not, but if it is the last time we've got everyone live, I was praying through and thinking through um, Psalm 91. I was looking through various psalms to, think, uh, to preach on, but I didn't really have a lot of time to prepare as I usually like to. We just had a lot of things coming at me this week, so I just had to pray and really just kind of tackle this psalm as best I could. Usually I like to spend a lot of time thinking about a psalm, thinking about a passage in which I'm going to pray. I've been thinking about the woman on the well, but we're going to tackle this one. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning to hear your word preached and proclaimed, as we open this psalm, as we open Isaiah, as we begin to wrestle with this passage, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. I pray, Father God, that you would teach us through this passage. Father, that as we uh, come into this time of, of, of being at home, this time of this epidemic or pandemic, however it's being defined right now, Father, Lord, that you would help us to be witnesses and examples to those who do not know you. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would remember who we are as Christians. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all be able to move that just a little bit back? Because I'm going to walk. I know it. I'm not going to be able to help it. So, <clears throat> so sinus, fe- sinus infections I've found are super annoying. If you've not been with me, I've I had a period of time where I ran into sinus infections, and I had sinus infections for basically five years and running. Uh, they were really bothering me. In, in fact, I came to a period of time when I counted it down, and it was basically three years straight. I had a sinus infection every single month, minus three. There were three months of my life that I did not have a sinus infection. It got so bad that at one point, I finally took this one medicine that drove me nuts. I I woke up one morning, and both my feet were pointed at the floor. Could not straighten them out. I thought, wow, that's a little bit annoying. And I'd read the side effects of this particular medicine, which I'd taken for quite a while, and uh, I knew that that was a bad sign. This medicine had a, had a reputation for rupturing your Achilles tendon. Okay, so I knew right away what I had to do. I knew how to strip out a muscle and how to stretch your muscle without actually stretching it. I got it, went over to my friend who was a chiropractor who knew how to strip muscles because he works on a lot of athletes, got that worked out. <clears throat> and figured out I had to stop this medicine right away. My calves had knots in them that were just enormous, and we worked on it for the next six months. I had to go four times a week and strip it out on my own. It was a bad ordeal. It took me about a year to get back to normal, a year and a half to where I really didn't have to worry about stripping out my calves all the time. So I knew that something had to change. Finally, the genius that I am, I went to the immunologist. When I went to the immunologist, 
lo and behold, while she was checking me out, I ended up with another sinus infection. Great. My immunologist got to see my sinus infection up close. She gave me one antibiotic. It didn't work. She gave me another antibiotic. It didn't work. Great. She gets to see how bad they are. She said, I can't fix this. She sent me to an ENT. The ENT swabbed my sinus infection, came back, and she called me later with a somber voice and said, Mr. Hatley, we've got a serious problem. You've got pseudomonas. And I said, okay, pseudomonas. So what kind of antibiotic are you going to give me? I didn't know what that meant. And she said, I don't think you understand Pseudomonas is pretty serious. We're going to have to send you to infectious disease. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that word when you go to infectious disease, but that's not a good thing I've heard, right? My gut sank. My heart sank into my gut, I guess is the better way to put that, and then into my feet. I'm 46, and I'm being sent to infectious disease. They call me, they schedule the appointment. The nurse says, schedule, she's cheery. She says, what's wrong? I pause for a minute and I say, well, no one ever got sent to infectious disease for a good reason, did they? And she laughs and says, I guess not. I get sent over there and within a couple days, I'm getting a pick line installed up my arm and two inches from my heart. And from that point on, Two or three times a day, I am getting an unholy amount of antibiotics that are super powerful pumped into my heart. I, didn't, I, I was nervous, but it wasn't until I talked to some other doctors that I got super nervous because I found out that that bacteria was very dangerous. In fact, if it got out of my sinuses, it was a yellow level bacteria here, but if it got out of my sinuses, it was a red level bacteria. It was deadly. And for the first time in my life, at 46, I had to contemplate my own mortality. I had thought about it before as a priest. If you're a priest, you see all kinds of people die. I had been to all kinds of deathbeds. I'd been in emergency rooms where people had died. I had seen it before, and so I'd come to terms with that. But for the first time in my life, I had to think about dying. Have you been there before? Have you ever had to face that? Well, I had to face it. I had to think about it. It was kind of a scary moment. Well, not kind of. It was a scary moment. Life is full of surprises, it seems. It can smack you at any time. Any time at all. Most of us go about our life pretending that we are in total control, and that illusion makes us so arrogant towards God and His people in general. We think we have it all figured out. It's only when a crisis hits And our illusion is shattered that we realize how frail that we really are. Now, for most of us, that time comes at a funeral. I preach a lot of funerals. And when I preach at a funeral, it's a great time to point out to people how frail life really is. Because at that moment, people began to contemplate that this is not all that there is. And so it's a great time to get them to think, where is your life? What are your priorities? When life spins out of control. There are other times, of course, when a divorce happens, when something bad happens in your life. Maybe when your career path was going along and then all of a sudden you've lost a job, but then you've really fallen into hard times. There are tragedies that befall a family. But when life spins out of control, if we aren't 
careful, fear can take over. And fear left unchecked can lead to very bad things in our life. And that's what this psalm really talks about. Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Our psalmist finds himself in such a time as ours. Now, admittedly, our epidemic is not as scary as many of history's epidemics in the past. This is not the bubonic plague. I'm aware of that of 1331 to 1353, which wiped out nearly 20 to 60 percent of the European population and an untold amount of the rest of the world. This is not the smallpox epidemic of 735 to 757 or 737 in Japan, which wiped out nearly one-third of all Japan. Both those epidemics killed massive amounts of people. But for many in our population, and I'm not saying everyone here is nervous, but many in our population, this is going to be the first time that they've faced their own mortality. And this is the first time that many will have faced our own mortality. You're seeing that in the press. You're seeing that in the newspapers. You're seeing that in around the world. People are terrified. They're frightened by what they're reading. They're whipped up into a frenzy. This is the first time we've been faced with the prospect of a reasonably large group of people dying. Well, at least openly. People die every day. We just don't see it. You see, we lived in a sanitized society. If you're a priest, you see it. If you're a doctor in certain wards, you see it. If you work in a nursing home, you see it every day. If you work in certain professions, if you're an EMT, you see it. You see, certain professions see this all the time, and death is not a surprise to them. They live with it constantly. But for most of us, it's pushed off to the side. It's something that we may see once or twice in our lifetime if we're there when somebody dies. And so when the prospect comes for most of us, we're scared of it. We're nervous. It shocks us. Those who are older among us think about death frequently. The older we get, the more we will ponder it. I had one older gentleman say, you know, once we hit 50, people begin to think about their death. The closer we get to 60, they begin to ponder it every single day. He was at that age. He began to say, Jeff, you as a pastor need to preach more about it. Because the older we get, the more we think about it. And your older folks in your congregation need to hear that word all the time. Too many pastors are preaching to the young. It was a good word, I think. Hmm. So when the possibility of death or the death of those around us now suddenly thrust upon us, well now, our realities that we have built all around us come crashing down, and we begin to desperately try to gain control in any way we can. When that control fails, fear sets in. And not just any fear, a gripping fear. And for some folks, it's going to be a terror, a gut-wrenching, soul-draining fear. And we begin to look for scapegoats, somebody's at fault. And you're already seeing that in the press, right? You're seeing certain people blaming anybody. It's this person's fault and that person's fault. 
But that's just another strategy to escape the reality that we are poor, finite creatures. We are not in control. And the Lord tells us this in Isaiah. Isaiah 46 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The reality here is stark. We're not going to live forever. But a lot of us pretend that we are. How many of you think and act like you are? Right? How many of us think that? We all pretend it. We all think it. Or most of us do. How many of you seriously thought about what happens when you die? I know Chris has faced it. I've faced it. I know Ben in our congregation has faced it. I'm sure several of you have faced it. It changes you when you face it. I'm here to tell you that. That is if you have faith. You lose your fear of it. You've seen it. It doesn't scare you so much. You're going to have to deal with it. You know it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. And you begin to realize that, and you begin to embrace it. It isn't something to be scared of. And the Lord tells us that. There is something that is more eternal than our lives. See, the Lord warns us about this all the way through Scripture. Flesh fades. There is something more than this, and you are made for something more than this. In these times, we need to remind people of that truth. God is pointing people in this passage to something greater. Yes, our lives on this earth are fleeting, but they are hardly meaningless. This is not all that there is. There is something greater. The word of the Lord stands forever, he says. His word is greater than us. But there is more. Isaiah 49, 40 verse 9 says, Go up on the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of of Judah, Behold your God. Listen from on high and fear not, says the Lord. For his people, he says, you are called to fear not. Why? Because look on the Mount Zion. Mount Zion is a symbol of God. What's he saying? In our times of trial in this psalm, which is used in the military, it's used by all kinds of people facing difficulty. When you face times of trial, where do you look? You look high to the mountain, to the mountain of God. And you see on this mountain who? In this prophecy, Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus in times of trial. As this time goes on, if it goes on long, people are going to be losing jobs. Some people are going to get sick. Depending on how bad it is, some may lose their lives. People are going to be facing hardships. Some people now are scared. Some right now are doing their duty. But it is going to be a time of trial for many people. A time of stress. We as Christians are called to do what? To look to the mountain and remember who we are during these times. We are not called to act like the world. We are called to act like servants of Jesus. We are called to remember who we serve during this time. To look to the mountain, 
to look high to Jesus. And then to begin to act like servants of Jesus. To act like those who are not afraid. To act like those who trust in the Lord. To act like those who know that this is not all that there is. Who do you put your faith in in times of great difficulty? Who do you put your faith in when you lose your job? Who do you put your faith in when things fall apart all around you? Who do you put your faith in when times of trial come? Yourself? Organizations? Other people? Who is it? Or do you put it in God? And that's what this passage asks of us. The psalmist cries out to the only one who can truly help him or her in their time of trial. It's in him that I trust. He gets it. Psalm 91, 2 through 4. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Look, any one of us could successfully navigate the COVID-19 crisis only to die of the flu next fall. Any one of us could drive out home this day and get hit by a car and die. I mean, it was crazy that I got a crazy sinus infection and could have died. I was putting on and trying glasses the other day. The person across from me who was helping me said, oh, you have migraines, and we talked about that issue because I was trying on these weird glasses for the problems I was having. And she said, oh, I have the same problem. And she turns out she had a sinus infection that almost killed her. Different kind of infection, but the same thing. I had a friend who got on a ship. He was a Navy officer. He was 24 years old and 48 hours later he was dead from a heart virus. I've had people who died all kinds of weird ways. Things can happen to us for all kinds of weird reasons. God is in control. When things that are bad happen, where do you put your trust? When our neighbors who do not know God around us are crumbling around us, are struggling around us, it is a good time for us to ask them, where do you put your trust? Because there are going to be people struggling at this time. Share your faith with Jesus with them. Share your faith with them. As his people, this psalmist says, we must live under his wings, behind his shield. We trust that he will save us in the time of trial. Now, it doesn't mean we act brazenly or foolish as so many Christians I hear online or elsewhere. I'm not going to be afraid of this. I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want to do. We don't lick the floor of a tuberculosis ward. That's testing God like we learned last week. That's not the right way either. That's a false pride. We're not called to be that person. What it does mean is that as Christians, we're called not to live in fear as those who do not know him. 
We're not called to live in the fear of death as non-believers. We're not called to live in the fear of losing our jobs. We're called to use this time to minister to those around us who are hurting and in need. To the single mother or father who needs someone to look after their children so that they can go to work. To the elderly neighbor who has no one to care for them and isn't frightened and alone. We must check in on them and make sure that they have food. We must have them over and keep them company. We're called to keep people calm when they begin to look for someone to blame and when they lose control and uncontrollable fear sets in. And point them to Jesus. Because that's what they really need to see. And there is one who loves them deeply. We need to help out in the hospitals when they're short on volunteers. We need to help out on those organizations that are bringing food to the elderly when they need help bringing food to the elderly. Our community will need our assistance. And as Christians, we have for 2,000 years answered the call in times of trial. We have looked to the Lord for our help in times of trial and reached out to help those around us. This time should be no different. Yes, we should follow our leaders. Yes, we should obey. But we should also remember that in these times, we are servants of the Lord Jesus. And we need to act like it. Amen.